I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Effie Parks. There's still time to grab your seats for the Stronger Together event. It's on April 13th, 14th, and 15th, and it's hosted by a fellow podcaster, Sinead Quinn of the Finding Happy podcast. It's a three-day event for moms who are raising kiddos with varying diagnoses and disabilities. There's going to be story time, yoga, stress relief practices, lots of good stuff. Head over to StrongerTogetherEvent.com to register. I'll be a part of your welcome panel on the first day. I hope you can come join us and we're going to have lots of fun and hopefully you'll meet some new friends along the way. Today's episode is with a fellow rare disease mama and attorney who's advocating hard in the policy world. She's currently serving on Governor's Developmental Disability Advisory Council, where she gets to help set policy and develop programs for the developmentally disabled in Arizona. She's kicking butt for kiddos in her state and is on the show today to share her top tips for becoming your best advocate. So you can head over to her website after you're finished listening, and she created a super handy printable PowerPoint laying everything out that we talked about today, so no need to take notes. You can go to that at momvocate.net slash blog. Please enjoy my conversation with Kara Carlson. Hi, Kara. Thanks for joining me today. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I know we've had a couple technical issues and just life in general get in the way, but we're here and this is going to be a fun episode. Okay, so Kara, give me some background. Tell me about your daughter and why we have met in this beautiful world of rare disease. We have met via Twitter, which I feel like is the way so many people have met, especially in the pandemic. But the reason I got involved with rare diseases is because of my daughter. I had an uneventful pregnancy. Everything was looking fine. She was born nine pounds, 12 ounces, you know, this gigantic, beautiful child. And then she was having a little trouble eating. And that got us started down a very, very, very long road that eventually led to a one-of-a-kind diagnosis where she has mosaicism for a couple of different marker chromosomes. She's the only person that they know who has issues like that. And that has raised what I think are very important points that people should know about. Outside of being a mother, I am an attorney. So I'm a professional advocate. And being a professional advocate has definitely provided me a leg up in being able to get her the care that she needs can you also tell me the diagnosis that they gave you just so we have it searchable in case it ever pops up for anyone else? I would love to, but there isn't, there literally isn't a name for it. She has everything, you know, she was diagnosed initially as failure to thrive. She has a post-cricoid cushion, which is what was interfering with her feeding in the beginning, which is why she needed NG tube. And now she has autism and developmental and delays and and 
likely intellectual delays based on the uh, duplicate marker chromosomes that are from portions of 17P and portions of 19. The 19 nobody thinks is very problematic just because of the, the portions of 19 that are duplicated, but the duplication of, of 17P does have clinical significance. The interesting thing with Ava's diagnosis is that the 17P duplication, there are syndromes where certain parts of 17P include certain genes that are duplicated. And, you know, so you'll have Pataki-Lupski syndrome, which is a place where I've kind of found a home because she has a 17P duplication and a lot of uh, similar, you know, behavioral and, and, and other diagnoses that are similar to PTLS or Pataki-Lupski syndrome. But she doesn't actually have a duplication of the gene that causes Pataki-Lupski syndrome. So we know she doesn't actually have that. So it's more additional diagnoses that have her genetic anomaly at, at the core of them than it is we have a name for what she has. She has duplicate marker chromosomes 17 and 19. And marker chromosomes, I should add, are just teeny tiny chunks of chromosomes. So it's not a duplication on a gene. You know, the normal human body has so many genes on so many chromosomes. She has extra pieces of chromosomes. So if you're actually looking at all of her chromosomes in what's called the karyotype, that's when you can look at all the different chromosomes in her body. She's got a few little extra pieces that are just hanging out and can cause problems. And that's what we're seeing. But because no one else shares those duplications, there isn't a single diagnosis. We will get into that and why that is actually was really, really important to me and, and how to work through that if you are, are in a situation where your child syndrome is super rare or even, you know, in, in my situation, completely unique, and you still need to be able to get services. Yeah, and I guess I should have been more clear about that, because I know that she doesn't necessarily have that one glossy diagnosis that you can say, but even still, just kind of knowing a little roadmap of what you're dealing with could be a lifeline for someone else listening who might be connected to it in some way. So thanks for sharing that. And yes, you've dubbed yourself the momvocate, the momvocate for life. And I love it so much. And I think what you bring to the table as not only a rare disease parent, but as an attorney, like you said, is really exciting. You know, your bean counters, and I'm really grateful for them. And I, I'll share it somehow. I haven't decided how I'm going to put your slideshow up, but we're going to talk about it because today we're actually going to go through kind of your top tip pro list of, you know, four parents who are just, a, you know, just getting a diagnosis or searching for a diagnosis on ways for them to become their best advocates for themselves, their families, and their kids. So tell me the goals. Where do we start at step one? Is this with our providers? What are we doing, Kara? With your providers, the first thing that you have to really make sure that you have an open line of communication, but they have an ethical obligation to explain things to you in a way that you can understand. If they come to you and they speak a bunch of medical jargon that's not necessarily helpful to you, you're not going to have the right questions to ask. You're not going to be able to be as strong an advocate. I've actually, and then this is 
compounded in um, the age of COVID because you are limited to who can be in the room. If you're not comfortable with the idea of being sent home, it's okay to say, I'm not comfortable. This is why I'm not comfortable. Explain to me why you think it's okay. So yeah, learning to be <laughs> assertive and trust your gut. I know several times we got sent home when Ford had RSV and pneumonia uh, because they just turn in, turn in tables, if you will, until I learned yes. like, oh, it's because you just actually don't know how to deal with my child that we're leaving. It's not because you think he's okay. Yes. And the next part that's really important, and this isn't important just for the treatment that you receive right then, this is going to be important for the rest of your child's life, is getting a concrete diagnosis or whatever, you know, however that looks. I have a difficulty with that because I don't have a, she has X syndrome. I have this very lengthy explanation. To be honest, we took her to genetics just to make sure that there was nothing that we were going to get blindsided with, you know? So I'm, I'm glad we ended up taking her to genetics because then we had a glimpse into some of the issues that she ended up developing that we didn't see right when we took her to genetics. But as he was discussing her diagnosis and this kind of weird space that she's in where she doesn't have uh, a single defined syndrome, there's not like a single gene duplication or deletion. Most people don't know what a marker chromosome is. Like you need to get as a concrete diagnosis as you can. The first thing that I thought of as, he's as the geneticist was telling me about her condition was really because I'm a lawyer was I'm going to have to have a way to explain this to the insurance company to get stuff paid for. And I'm going to have to have a way to explain this to the state in order to get her state services. And if I don't get her in a box that they can check, then it's going to be easy for them to deny me. If you can get those words, chromosomal abnormality, developmental delay, failure to thrive, intellectual disability, genetic duplication or deletion, getting specific buzzwords that are true, but get them into qualifying for different programs. Now the programs vary state by state and you know different programs are used to treat different diagnoses, but it's important that to the extent that you can, so what boxes does she check, you know, based on the geneticist's very specialized understanding of genetics. Sometimes you have to push them. Other times you really want to work collaboratively with them. And this is one of those times getting these concrete diagnoses and I guess I'll just move forward to the, the next point, objective progress benchmarks. This is so important throughout your child's life, but for us especially, it ended up being absolutely critical because, you know, like I said, she was born nine pounds, 12 ounces. So that's 99th percentile. That's a huge kid. Three months later, we were at her gastro and she was at the 25th percentile. And then she fell and she was like down to the, the ninth percentile. And at that point, you know, her, her gastro, I was basically like, okay, we have a weigh-in on Monday. So you need to tell me 
today, what does she need to weigh on Monday? We will cry like hell to make it. If she doesn't make it, I need to know that that day we will get into the hospital and we will have an NG tube because he had brought up an, uh, getting a, a nasogastric tube to feed her. And, you know, you could tell like he was kind of taken aback by that, but I was just done. I was just done with the like, you know, watching her literally flatline off the growth chart. It turns out there was a mix up in the medical records. So they had thought she was always a small child. You know, so they they didn't they thought her weight when she came in, she, they thought she'd always been in the 25th percentile. So, you know, their alarm bells weren't ringing the way mine were, but they were able to tell us, okay, she needs to gain 15 grams a day. And, you know, unfortunately, we did everything we could, but she was nowhere near that. She she gained seven grams a day. And, you know, that day we were that Monday, we were in, in the hospital that afternoon. But, you know, after that, we were getting her food. She was a whole different baby. It was the hardest thing we've ever had to do. Going through the NG tube process with her was super difficult. It's uncomfortable. You know, it's sad. You hate seeing your kid having a bad time. But it was both the worst and the best thing because she became a totally different kid when she was getting enough food. So, you know, but but the fact that we had specific target goal that then if we met it, okay, fine, we met it. Let's keep up. Let's keep it up. If we didn't meet it, though, we could also tell the doctor like, okay, we didn't meet it. So now we're doing the next step. Not we didn't need it. Okay, now let's consider what do we do? There's all different kinds of, of things that they can measure, and that measurement can be critical to getting care, like my situation was, or it can be critical to just showing you that a particular therapy is working. And if you're spending a lot of time or a lot of money or both doing a particular therapy, then you want to be sure that it's working. And so having these kinds of benchmarks help you see that. And the other thing is, obviously, as a parent, when you're living with your child 24-7, you might not notice the huge gains that they're making if they're making like little strides every day. And not making it like unhealthily obsessive to keep track of this stuff, but definitely trying to not just live in chaos. For sure. What about medical records? Why do you feel like it's important to get those ahead of time or in the beginning? Get them all the time because, uh, first of all, depending on the hospital system, they may charge you for them. But a lot of hospitals, because of the 21st Century Cures Act, have moved to the app. And so, first of all, you get to see, like, what did your doctors think about this? What did the doctors have to say about the treatment? And then... Most importantly, what it's going to allow you to do is take all that data, do your own research, and then when you're making your applications to insurance companies or to providers or to state health agencies, you already know what's in there and you know what documents you want to include and highlight. Yeah, I think this one's really important, especially getting the medical records. When I got our medical records, I used to think medical records were that goodbye summary until my mother-in-law was like, no, you need to do this. And I took weeks and I finally got them. And the stuff that was in those medical records were things nobody had ever said to me. They were things that Ford had never been treated for. There were blatant 
instances of neglect in my prenatal care and Ford's first couple months of life, there were changes to the medical records. And it, it dates that and it times that when someone changed something in it. I mean, just like the craziest stuff is in your medical records that you have no idea about. So get your medical records get the full picture. And I love your idea about highlighting the important key points that you want to bring into appointments because doctors are busy and you're right. Nobody wants to go through this. Nobody can go through this. But to really come to the appointment with a plan, if you have the bandwidth at the time to make that happen. Another giant, you know, block in our world with medically complex kids is the finances of it all. What are your thoughts on how to manage? I am so thankful that I graduated law school during the great recession. And so the only jobs available were debtor defense and bankruptcy work. And so that's where I ended up because I never would have initially, I never would have pictured myself there. Um, But that was the only place hiring. So that was where I was. And that's been so helpful because I know how billing works. I know how collections work. Usually there's a cash only discount of 50% or more or a prompt payment discount asking for those different options. And again, the providers often offer payment assistance. If you're in a position of financial hardship, then you can um, get in touch with a patient advocate. Most hospitals have patient advocates, you know, so if you are in a position where you are in a true financial hardship situation, try to to get a hold of a, of a patient advocate. But even if you're not, they might have a program where no financial need uh, must be demonstrated. You just have to pay a certain amount every few months. And you know, particularly given COVID and the situation in everyone's life, why pay 100% out of pocket if you can pay, you know, 10% every month? There are a bunch of different options out there. The key thing is to stay in touch with them and document, 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 and be nice. How about asking for referrals? There is a whole world of ways to get referrals. If possible, it's good to get people from other people that you trust. But, you know, if if your child's condition is so unique, you might have to reach out to, you know, other patient groups is helpful. So uh, the lady who runs the Pataki Lupski Syndrome Foundation knows researchers who are doing research on marker chromosomes. And so she hooked us up with them. And so we sent our blood and Ava's blood off to the lab to do some research on that. So um, you never know how you're going to get a referral. Just always keep your eyes and ears open and really talk. I can't believe how many parents have had children who have problems that I had no idea about until I talked about my child's health problems and then all of a sudden like they opened up to me and and that can be a really good way to get referrals and just especially with our autism getting into developmental pediatrics is usually a very 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 long wait so like set up on multiple different wait lists 
if I had had, if I hadn't had the failure to thrive diagnosis to get her into the Arizona early intervention program, um, I would have had a much longer, more arduous process. And so I would have wanted to sign up for that and, and get that because it's free and they used to come in home. But at the same time, I probably would have been getting her services at our local healthcare providers, pr private healthcare providers office at the same time. So, you know, um, especially if you're dealing with a situation where there's a long wait list, put them on both. And that's another way other than just talking about it, asking questions from your friends and just really delving into the he, the human touch aspect of it, but also using your social media networks. Yeah. So this is so critical. Call it out and obviously be polite. Don't try to burn any bridges, but use that network to get other people to help you or get the right people to listen and not just look at you as another piece of paper on their stack. I have a level of privilege that not everybody does. And then so this is my other way of trying to give back and make sure that, you know, other people can view it the way I have really been trained and gotten to practice over the last 10 years as an attorney to do this. You know, I have this training, I have this practice, I have this experience in getting things done and getting through bureaucracy that, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do this if I was a brand new attorney. I learned this and and I want to share that knowledge. I appreciate the fact that you're coming to the table with actionable ideas to share with other families who are going through this who might need a little nudge or really just the tools to go forward. So tell everyone where they can find you, Kara. And if they have any questions, we will definitely have your slideshow available for everyone to kind of go through and copy themselves. Yeah. So my Twitter handle is at momvocate 4 life the number four l-y-f-e you can also email me at momvocateforlife at gmail.com or visit my and i'm going to admit it is very much still under construction momvocateforlife.blogspot.com awesome okay Cool. Well, thank you so much, Kara, for sharing all of this work that I know you have put so much energy and time into because that's the way your brain works because mine doesn't. And I'm grateful to parents like you in this club. Oh, well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It was an absolute pleasure. And, you know, maybe one day we'll get to meet in person when this COVID is over. <laughs> That's a for sure thing. We're all meeting. We're going to have a once upon a gene like soiree. So it'll happen. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. 